I do not sleep well at night because I was out there um, fighting the fight and uh, we lost every round. <clears throat> I don't attribute those losses to myself, but then again, I never lost a football game where I didn't blame myself. So I don't sleep well at night because we've lost every round. That's that's one of the most interesting leads into the podcast we've had, I think, Andrew. So, yep. So today we've got uh, the Honourable Bob Carter, the I believe the longest serving federal politician. One of the two longest serving. One of the two. Okay. But I don't squat about it because the other one is that slimy, snake-like cockroach, Billy Hughes. <laughs> women, women, grandfather's current. brother to his death at Gallipoli, of which my family, the Henleys, have never forgiven him. We mean current current politician. You're the longest serving currently. Oh, by a long way. By a long, long way. Yeah. I don't last very long these days. <laughs> so, so Bob, we uh, we know you've, you've, you're very time sensitive. You've got a lot on. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a few topics, focus on agriculture. But we'll start off with a bit of a, a warm-up. So we'll do our sixth sense. We're just going to throw a word at you, and you just give us a very short, very short answer or a one-word response about what you think of that, and then we might talk a bit more detail about that uh, later on. So, Matt, do you want to throw the first word? Uh, yeah, I'll go with land clearing laws. Bastard. It's <laughs> a good, good, sh quick response. Uh, ethanol. <clears throat> um. the great shame of the Parliament of Australia. This is the good answer. great shame. Good answers here, Andrew. What about, um, what about Crocs? Um, you know, I have a view on Crocs, um, and my I view is over the shoulders of my rear side and the tip of my foresight. I was, I was actually referring to the, the Crocs footwear as well, Bob, you know, the... The kind of um, those those sandals, sandals kind of shoes you can wear. Not not the living Crocs, not the ones that you can chase after and get rid of. The other Crocs that people wear on their feet. <clears throat> well, I I attribute sandals to why I can fight because my mother sent me to school in shoes and long socks, where every other kid in the school <laughs> was barefoot, and a few of them are real wealthy and they had sandals. Well. Your mother does that to you. You learn how to fight, I tell you. You can even go to school like Clon Curry. <laughs> right. Uh, black pudding. The sausage. <clears throat> it's a beautiful blood sausage from Scotland and Italy. No. Yeah. It's our favourite. That's normally yeah, the, the best food that we go for. Uh, what was the other one we had? Farm labour. Farm labour. Um, I think in my homeland, they'd say, where is it? Where is it? <laughs> um, I represent the Australian banana industry and uh, about half the Australian mango industry and farm labour. Um I was looking for Johnny Gambino, one of the great greatest leaders we've ever had, I suppose, in farming. Um, he secured the welfare payments, um, Johnny G. 
Um, and um, Sam, his son, said he's down in the paddock. So what's he doing down there? And he said, what do you think he's doing? Picking mangoes. And I said, he's picking mangoes. Um, Johnny, I think, is 83. And uh, he said, well, you just can't get workers. So uh, they had five or six workers. And but Johnny at 83 was out there uh, picking mangoes. Picking mangoes. Um, most of them is picking to throw them away because um, uh, Scott Morrison made a, an admirable remark, actually, about China. And uh, you don't criticise China because they're the middle kingdom. They rule everything. And uh, if you criticise them, they punish you. So they cut off a diesel fuel and they cut off all imports into um, 29,000 million it cost us. And one of the many casualties was John because he had a huge contract for mangoes into Hong Kong. No contract. You just had to pile them in the oh. creek. So we'll go on to the, the, the sort of discussion. You mentioned ethanol. And uh, at the moment, you're obviously in northern, northern Queensland. A lot of sugar in that part of the world. <clears throat> and now there was some news last week, I think, there's going to be a move to produce more ethanol for sugar, from sugar, by Qantas or by for Qantas. Why do you say it's such a a slight on the government that we don't have an ethanol industry? What's your views on uh, ethanol? Every every country on earth, the last time I looked, um, has ethanol. Um, they don't do it because they love sugar cane farmers or beet sugar beet farmers. Um, they do it because it saves lives. If you don't do it, people die. Uh, in the United States, over a 16-year period, they did the trials in California. And um, if you moved from up in the Sierra Mountains there um, into Los Angeles, your chances of dying of lung disease or heart disease doubled, doubled. Mm -hmm. And that was because of superfine particles and the carcinogens that are in petrol. Um, you can overcome both problems uh, by putting um, five, arguably 10% ethanol in the petrol tank. Now, as far as I can see, every country on earth has 5%. Now, um, China claims it's on 5% or going to 5%. Um, Japan claims it has 5%. All the European Union countries are uh, contracted in to an agreement that says 5%. America is on about 15 or 16% last time I looked. Brazil is um, on um, about, not about, it's on 49%. Um, Indonesia, yeah, the city areas of Indonesia, um, yeah. And that's all the big countries on earth. That's all the big popular countries. The only... Two countries on earth that don't have ethanol uh, is Australia and New Zealand and the African countries. Hmm. Um, and of course, your producing countries. Um, uh, but so every single country on earth has ethanol except Australia and New Zealand. And all I can say is the colonial spot marks are flashing neon lights. And it be we have a prime minister running around overseas with a bloke, as far as I can make out, has never had a job. Uh, is slightly inbred. I'm being a bit nasty. Um, slightly inbred. 
And he believes that some people are born more important people than others. And I don't think that the Prime Minister did himself much good running around with um, a person from a foreign country um, talking as if he had some sort of um, identification here in Australia. What guy was that? I'm not going to say that. Oh, okay. You Scottish shouldn't have to ask that question. <laughs> My Scottish forebears would turn in their grave if they thought that one of our own would ask that question. <laughs> It'd be a significant value add for, for the Australian mm. farmer too if we could produce ethanol domestically, don't you think, Bob? Well, I mean, we're uh, one of the biggest grain exporters in the world. People think sugar, but really it'll be mostly grain, as it is throughout the world. The yeah. Europeans have beet sugar. They use beet sugar. Um, India uses cane sugar. Um, uh, Canada and the United States, um, Canada uses beet sugar uh, in the main. The United States, of course, is mostly grain, but a lot of, a lot of corn. cane sugar as well. And uh, Brazil used cane sugar. India used cane sugar. Um, so, in, in, uh, inter Interestingly enough, yeah. Europe uses a lot of canola, but it, most of it comes from Australia. Actually, uh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um very, very interesting. And a lot of beet as well, obviously. The UK was huge, but a beet was used for ethanol. But it, there is... <clears throat> um, you get some argument on this, but on the figures I've seen, there's a 20% benefit in price for grain farmers and sugarcane farmers um, if ethanol is introduced. There is a reduction in the price of petrol. Brazil... Um, 49% ethanol, the price of their fuel um, is $1.29. When I looked at the same time, Australia was $1.89. Um, and, uh, and really, that's the way I did a quick tour of Brazil, the only time we've been overseas, just in and out uh, to Peru Cabo. And um, uh, it was um, even bigger margin then, but not all that much different than it is today. So... Price of petrol comes down. Instead of sending $40,000 million overseas to buy a petrol and diesel, we can produce it all here in Australia. What do you that's think? That's why I say ethanol. When you say ethanol to me, the shame of the parliaments of Australia. Why do you think there's such a reluctance, Bob, to... I mean, there's obviously a lot of benefits to it, as you've outlined. Why do you think there's such reluctance to get something underway? Why did they give... The gas or what? Uh, Quetar, just some amount of gas weeded. Uh, they get 29,000 million. 29,000 million. Australia gets 600 million. We gave the gas away for six cents and we have to buy our own gas at 49 cents. <laughs> and gas is the building block of your economy. I mean, it's like coal. Um, so why has the Parliament of Australia voted that by 2050 there'll be no coal mining or coal power stations in Australia when the only industry we've really got left is coal and iron ore? That's the only two we've got left. And most of Australia's voting to get rid of it. Um, I would say we haven't grown up as a nation. We're still um, in a colonial mentality and we are being corporate colonisation is taking place as we talk. And that process of corporate colonisation 
the people that own and run Australia, they want to sell Australia to foreigners because they get an agency fee when they sell it. Now, you can slither your way into a union headquarters and slither your way out of union headquarters into parliament or into the board of a superannuation company. Either way, you are the ruling class. Now, the Liberals, well, yes, you can slither your way into a legal firm or an accounting firm and then slither your way into parliament if you're stupid. Uh, and uh, and uh, that is why most Liberals are stupid, of course. You know, a lot smarter if they stayed where they were. <laughs> um, but, um, um, yeah, they slither their way into parliament as well. Uh, but the big legal firms and the big particularly accounting firms, um, uh, yeah, um, once again, they get commissions on selling Australia to foreigners. They are <laughs> one working parasitic class that live in the cities. Um, a non-working parasitic class. Um, a bit like that bloke that the Prime Minister was running around with in London. The unnamed, the unnamed individual. You've been, for someone that's been around in Oh, politics, right. I get it. I get it, I get it now. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Scottish uh, forebears will be ashamed of me. My Scottish <laughs> forebears are proud of me. <laughs> for for no, someone no. that's been in, been in politics for such a long time, I've got other Scottish forebears too, by the way. For someone that's been all the best people do, Bob. That's yeah, well, um, Andrew. I'm trying to I'm trying to come away because if you get Andrew on Scottish stuff, we'll never we won't finish the podcast. We'll be here for hours, Bob. But for oh, someone that's been that. nothing wrong with that. No, for someone that's been in politics, I think federal politics since '93 and state politics before that, you've seen, I guess, a lot of people and a lot of changes. Do you, from your vast experience in that field, would you say that Australian politics has improved these days, or is it, you know, kind of getting worse? No, government has ceased to operate. The longest-serving senior cabinet minister in Australian history wanted to see me because he knew that I was a very long-serving cabinet minister. I'll be a at a state level, and I've had a lot of power and influence. Um, I've been very lucky in the federal parliament because they've been very close elections. So uh, I've had power of all proportion to what I deserve. Um, but anyway, he asked me to come down and see him. And before I could sit down, he said, politicians today do not govern. They will not govern. You'll not be able to get them to govern. And I said, when did you come to that conclusion? He said, three years ago. I said, well, you want up on me because I came to that conclusion three and a half months ago. It's not because the lily pad lefties or ring barking righties. It is just that they are incapable of making a decision. And they have no background for making decisions. They work in corporations, whether they're a union headquarters or a legal firm, um, um, take <coughs> um, Adam Bant, um, take uh, Julia Gillard, legal firms, um, then into unions, then into parliament. Um, and that's a pretty well-worn pathway. But you see, at no point there do you have to make decisions. I had to make a decision as to whether I was going to put serious money into the Floridora, uh, <clears throat> which I'm a mining man, and we prospected and found what I consider to be potentially a very good ore body. It turned out to be very rich, but very small. But I made a quick out of it. But I had to make a decision because we have changed supermarkets 
in Cloncurry because we ran up an account we couldn't pay at one. And we then ran up an account and second one. And, and I had to get money off my wife to, to, to start mining. Well, I took the risk and it paid off. Um, 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 I took the risk and buying some virgin country up in the middle of nowhere. Um, and uh, I bet that we could make money out of it. Well, I did. I made a huge amount of money. I had 250,000 acres and I had no money on it. But you see, my life was taking risks. When I worked at the mines, I had to decide whether I was going to get the lead hopper unstuck by going out there with a steel belt around me or uh, whether um, I was going to complain that it's dangerous and yeah. I might lose my job. <laughs> but, um, but I had to make that decision and I decided to take the risk and I'll bet myself in that I could get the hopper moving. So, 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 Bob, going back to that, you obviously you bought, bought a bit of land up north back in those days. You could clear land quite easily. You mentioned when we mentioned land clearing laws, I, I can't remember what you said. Bastard, bastard. bastard was, was the word you used? <laughs> t- t- tell us your views on, on land clearing because that's been a uh, very big look, thing in Queensland. You know, the great men of history, um, and, you know, it's funny that, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Archbishop Langton wrote the Magna Carta and it said that that is my property and the king himself can't enter that property without due process of law. Now, Chief Justice Coke said that in the famous case, which is called An Englishman's Home is His Castle. I think it was in 1642. Um, uh, he said that. Uh, Queer and which was... Um, uh, 1472, I think, um, uh, legislation, they all said the same thing. The Declaration of Independence said the same thing. That's my land, not yours, right? Now, it's my land, and I choose to chop every tree down. That's my business, not yours. Now, I, as a government, am entitled to put moral, moral pressure upon you to say, hey, 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 come on, mate, that's a bit over the fence, right? But your assumption is that you know more about the land than the owner does. Um, well, you who live on a concrete pavement know more about the cocky that lives up there. I doubt that. I very much doubt that. And it would be a very stupid cocky. You will remember I used the phrase lily pad left or ring barking right. What's ring barking right mean? Well, if you ring bark a tree for 20 years, grass will grow under it. If the tree's there, grass won't grow under it. Move the tree, the grass will grow under it. Right? <laughs> but there's a little problem here. That tree is the mechanism by which the mineral underneath come up through the root system, go into the leaves and are dropped on the ground and regenerate the soil. Mm-hmm. So for 25 years, you get increased production. And after that, you get a dramatic reducing of production. And that's why I call them ring-barking righties. They used to out there to make a quid and, and bugger the consequences. Bugger the, bugger um, the long term. You don't stay on the land if you're out there to make a quick quid and bugger the consequences. Now, the classic example of that is the 40-mile scrub, one of the most famous uh, nature parks in Queensland. Uh, 
Um, everyone knows the 40 mile scrub. If you live in North Queensland, you know. Where, where, whereabouts scrub. is that, Bob? Uh, it's halfway between Charters Towers and Cairns. Okay. Um, um, on the main highway, uh, but it's the inland highway. Um, uh, just the back of the jungles and the Great Dividing Range, and it's only about 40 kilometres from the coast. Um, uh, <clears throat> anyway, that's 40 mile scrub. It no longer exists. It was burnt to a cinder and it is now covered. And I went in and checked it out in Natal grass, which is an introduced species, which is absolute rubbish grass. And uh, uh, it's a weed. Um, neem trees, which is a weed and a dangerous weed at that, and lantana. So there is not a single marsupial on the whole 40 kilometres. <laughs> nothing, absolutely nothing, except wicked weeds. Now, on the other side of the road, like 40 metres away, is a station property, and there isn't a blade of grass singed because he looks after his land. The government doesn't. So don't you, Mr Coven, come and preach to me because I've got proof. There's the 40-mile scrub, your responsibility. There's the cattle station, my responsibility. Oh, and... Uh, you know, in my area where I was, we had a dozer, we had two graders, we had a Brompton rat, a great instrument for fighting fires, and we had two water trucks. So we got a fire, we had an enormous ability to be able to deal with that fire. National Parks got no ability, no people on the ground, no one lives there. And, uh, and of course, they are pig pens, weed nurseries, and fire starters. Mm. Apart from some of that, I guess, government regulation that's impacting the farmer's ability to do what they do best, are there other things you think that, you know, we could be doing to support farmers more generally, yeah. you, know, um, it, you know, within within kind of, you know, what they're producing, say, or what they're selling into the, the, to the, you know, eventually makes its way to the retail sector? Are there things that we should be doing to help the farming community a bit more, in your view? Um, you know, um your wealth comes from people that create food, people that create furniture, appliances, motor vehicles, fuel, um, electricity. That's where your wealth um, and wonderful lifestyle come from. So we should look after the people that create those things. We've sold them to the walls. Um, we have destroyed them. And uh, let's look at agriculture quickly. Um, wool uh, carried Australia for 230 years. It was a bigger export item than coal when Paul Keating introduced um, his ideology. And uh, we have a saying in the bush, when your neighbour starts preaching religion, reach for your branding iron. But at a meeting in old coffee, I started talking about it's our philosophy, it's our policy. And... And he said, hey, hey, shut up, Catter. He said, you know the same when your neighbour starts preaching religion? I said, yeah, reach for your brand on. He said, yeah, well, when your politician starts preaching morality and principles, he said, me, I'm going to reach for my brand shooting on. Brand <laughs> on. <laughs> and good call. Uh, once you start talking about ideology, we are on very dangerous ground indeed because you don't have to prove the point. In science... You put forward a scientific theory, and then you must prove that theory with empirical evidence. Um, uh, in politics, you can have a theory, 
and you don't have to prove it at all. You know, um, <clears throat> um, the famous joke, you know, um, what do you call um, uh, when output exceeds input? Um, and uh, um, a very serious problem, um, of course. Um, and uh, of course, the politician says, what problem? <laughs> yeah. you, 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 uh, you're in Cummings. He says, what problem? <coughs> but, I'll, go on a, I'll go on a bit of a tangent here. Return. Paul <laughs> Keating said, we need free markets. This country is no longer going to be a sort of an extended sheep run and a sort of a, uh, an extended coal mining pit. This country will be a sophisticated economy. Ha-ha, oh, Paul. So what are we going to do? Go down to slave labour wage levels, spend a squillion dollars in competitive economies of scale. We build a refinery in Australia. It's like one hundredth the size of a refinery built in China or Taiwan or South Korea. Um, they mobilise capital to get economies of scale. We mobilise capital to sell sheep backwards and forwards to each other. And be, let me be very specific. Um, uh, 200 billion, is that right? Um, no, 500 billion a year goes into uh, correction again, one fifth of 2000. Oh, yeah, 400 billion goes into superannuation every year. Mm -hmm. That's, a, you know, a quarter of our earnings goes, as it should, into superannuation. Now, it might be a little high, but that's about the size of it, right? Now, the major portion of that money is spent on selling shares backwards and forwards to each other. Speculation. Um, and uh, in a conversation with Kevin Rudd, he said, John Maynard Keynes called the stock market a roulette wheel. And I said, well, I'll call it a Ponzi scheme. Why don't you keep pumping in 200 billion a year and nothing's coming out the other end? I think what we got here is a giant Ponzi scheme. So, you know, and this is how government's changed. This is a profound change in government. We had <clears throat> wool earning more money than coal. Uh, production of coal, eh, not all that much greater than it was 25 years ago. Um, so um, compare the production of wool now with the production of coal. Like, wool was not in the top 20. Last time I looked. No, it won't be. No, it's not. It's not, not at all. Not even near. You're lucky if it's in the top uh, 50. Well, I mean, it was destroyed by free market um, policy. We were aggressively nationalistic marketing policies. Uh, we now have supine, uh, you know, lily pad, um, um, fairy tale, uh, um, free market. <clears throat> yeah, the, free the, market reser the, the reserve... The reserve yeah. pricing scheme going in 1990 was um, was the beginning of the death knell, I think, for the wall sector. Um, I had a, you mentioned Paul Keating there. No, 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 no. You won't get away with saying that. You won't get away with saying that. When when Anthony introduced the scheme, the price for wool trebled, and every year for the next 20 years, it showed a very nice two and a half percent rise in price. And no great massive increase in numbers because we don't want that either. Um, nice 2% because there's only two nations in the world produce apparel wool, mm. uh, Uruguay and Australia. 
So we got 80% of the market, they get 20%. So if we want to set the price at that level, we can. Well, you're pretty stupid if you don't, I would think. So uh, Anthony just uh, did it. Um, and there we go. Wonderful price, biggest export earning item for Australia. Wonderful success story. Keening comes in with his ideology. Um, and uh, I think that year was 1990. And uh, from then on, it was absolute disaster. 72% of the nation's sheep herd has gone. 72% of that industry, a renewable industry, uh, is gone, vanished. Probably quite a bit. And, it's uh, gonna... That happened to be the industry that created the Labor Party too, which I'll remind Keating of before I get hold of it. That's that's what I was going to move towards because you you've mentioned Paul Keating a few times there, and someone that's been involved in politics as long as you would have had <clears> the ability to have, have worked with many and seen many different politicians across many different parties. If we would ask you your top three politicians in ter- not in not in the Cadre Australia Party, of course, ones that are in separate parties, um, who would be in all the time you worked in politics? Who would be the top three you think have done the best for the Australian, um, you know, kind of electorate and and the best for the Australian farmer? Your top three pollies, apart from yourself. Well, I mean, uh, no question that Red Ted Theodore's greatest man in Australian history. I didn't say that. Paul Keating said that. Um, once I, for once in my life, I agree with him. Uh, Malcolm Fraser said that. I didn't say that. Malcolm Fraser said that. For once in my life, I agree with Malcolm Fraser. No, I'm a bit of unfair there. He wasn't all that bad. Um, uh, you know, uh, um, um, Clyde Packer um, uh, bawled his eyes out when he heard his best friend, Red Ted Theodore, died. Um, most people have no idea who he is, and that's the tragedy of Australian history. And Australian education and, and our complete lack of maturity as a nation. Um, <clears throat> um, so, yeah, he's standout. Jack McEwen, um, I wasn't heavily involved in politics. I was running for parliament and Jack McEwen was still there. And um, Jack McEwen's standout, of course. Um, he completely controlled Australia after the war. Mises was a politician, he didn't have much say in running the government. Um, but uh, Jack, um, he, um, if he didn't sell through the Dairy Farmers Cooperative in Victoria, he got bashed. And he did the first bashings. <laughs> they called him Blackjack McKeown. Um, yeah, right. yes, so McKeown. Um, he put in the beef road scheme and we doubled the cattle population in Australia as a result of that scheme. So because my neighbour owned a million acres. 24 inch rainfall area because he said what's the use of a station if you can only get into or out of it for three months of the year and uh, he sold it the next person that bought it he didn't put any cattle there either uh, in fact there was three million acres that had no cattle at all hmm. when the beef road scheme went in um there was um eighty thousand head of cattle up there that was the value of the beef road scheme um so he doubled cattle production um uh, under his regime and his protege, Doug Anthony, um, we created the greatest export earner in Australia, the wool industry. Um, they drought-proofed New South Wales, southern, southern Queensland, and Victoria and South Australia. The Murray-Darling scheme 
combined with the Snowy Mountain scheme, um, we were able to access water and effectively drought proof that. And they still have droughts, but mm. I mean, it's not like the Federation <coughs> drought yeah. where 70% of Australia's wool vanished and, uh, and almost all of our cattle vanished from uh, all that area I just described. Uh, the Federation drought didn't rain much in Australia between 1880 and, uh, and 2014. It's called Federation drought. Um, Tyson, the famous biggest cattle owner in Australian history, he sold three sheep stations for um, two cartons of grog and 25 pounds. <laughs> he was lucky to get 25 no, pounds. <laughs> yeah, and so much for climate change. <laughs> yeah. So, so Bob, we, we know we're probably running out of time. Uh, so you've got to go. You've got a lot of appointments, I'm guessing. Uh, anything else you want to add before we go? Or? Well, I mean, let's just recreate Australia. We will get the balance of power in Queensland. Please God, it will be the selection. We'll be knocking on the door. When we do that, we'll swiftly move to irrigation. Yes, except for a little tiny, well, it's not all that tiny, a little bit on the Burdekin River. That's it. The biggest river in Australia is no irrigation, Mitchell, it's North Queensland. Um, the Murray-Darling is massively irrigated. That's not North Queensland. Burdekin is North Queensland. Yeah, a little bit of irrigation off the Burdekin. Uh, the Gilbert River, no irrigation at all. The state, no irrigation at all. The Flinders, no irrigation at all. So, I mean, you know, all of Australia's water effectively is in North Queensland and we're using none of it. Now, the wonderful thing is that McEwen and Anthony did with the uh, Murray-Darling uh, they need to be done in the rest of Australia. If you introduce ethanol, the grains industry and the sugarcane industry suddenly become attractive. Um, and uh, if we restore the marketing schemes, we can get a quit out of it. Land clearing, um, Sam Daniels, I think, may be the biggest cattle owner in Australia, may certainly be one of the top ones. Um, he said, if I had my choice, land clearing. Uh, which surprised me. I would have thought a whole lot of things I would have said before I said land clearing, but that's what he said. And he said, a little tiny bit of land clearing I've got, I ran an extra 15,000 head of cattle. An extra 15,000 head of cattle. Well, we're talking about $25 million benefit. No, $35 million. No, $55 million benefit. Um, with just a little tiny bit of land clearing would have been, I doubt whether it would have been 3% uh, of his land. But most of those trees are fully grown uh, and or um, dead. In both cases, they're absorbing CO2, not generating it. And that's the difference between a scientific approach and an ideological approach. Uh, so <clears throat> our HIPCO scheme in Yondon, we can duplicate that 17 times in North Queensland, inland. And the Bradfield scheme on top of that, you've got 20, 30 billion dollars a year coming into Australia that's not coming in now. If you build the Bradfield scheme and you do those little irrigation schemes, but they must be done on ballot system, not the big boys get all the water. Um, so ballot system, owner operator, owner occupier, they must be done that way. Um, with your with your land clearing side of it, would you think that there'd be an aspect of land clearing, but then also in another part of the area, reforestation? So you're kind of balancing out 
Yeah, yeah. Our, our party's policy is if you take out one tree, you put back three. One, two, identical species, and one, the same species but an improved species. <clears throat> so that's our policy. You take out one, you put in three. But our policy also says you're entitled to clear 2% of your land, and that's Ag Forces policy. Um, and uh, so separately from that is your right to clear 2%. Um, if we get the balance of power, I'm pretty certain we'll give 200 hectares of irrigation to every owner-operator, not to the corporates. They get nothing. Or the absentee landlords, and I was effectively an absentee landlord. I was hardly ever on the station. Um, and uh, so they get nothing, right? But the owner-operators, the owner-occupiers, they get 200 hectares of irrigation and 200 hectares to go with the irrigation. We found out that to optimise cattle fattening, you need a hectare dry grass for every hectare of irrigated grass. So um, but, that, but, that will be a wonderful thing to do for Australia. It'll be a wonderful thing to do for the people. And we might just populate, probably a good point to end, and, and that's, uh, that's my, that's my... An empty land. 92% of Australia <coughs> is populated by 1.2 million people. But just, just, just... 30 years ago, we said, oh, we don't need population. We don't need an army. We don't need... And we've almost got annihilated. If it wasn't for the Christian missionaries, we'd have been a goner. My old we'd have been a goner. Uh, the blackfellas would have ceased to exist altogether. We would have been... Uh, what do you call it, uh, when you wipe out a race of people, um, uh, <clears throat> like the Nazis were doing? Um, genocide, yeah, genocide. Genocide, that would have happened to us if it hadn't been for Christian missionaries. But we were stupid. I mean, you've got a, a land without, a people without land will be attracted to a uh, land without people. How, how do we get people to come on warfare? Because like, we've... At the moment, like you said before, like I've got a lot of friends up in northern Queensland and near Tully, and getting labour up there is nigh on impossible. So how, how do we get people to, if we're talking about creating more jobs, it's not the people to fill those jobs as is. Andrew, um, uh, we belong to a vanishing race. Um, when uh, 20 Australians die, um, we're replaced by 17 people. I think that's closer to 16 people now, the last time they did a proper study. So it won't take long for us to cease to exist as a race of people. Um, now, that is bad enough in itself, but the land becomes emptier and emptier. And uh, it's just the laws of nature. <laughs> it doesn't leave for a vacuum. Um, someone will come in. Now, having said that, you know, what our party says is 15000 on the birth of a child and 15000 every year thereafter. And if you think that a person on $100,000 average weekly earnings uh, with a wife, stay-at-home wife and four kids, is going to survive in our society today, when you take 30% of that 100000 off him and um, you're mm. uh, Medical payments, your uh, retirements, that's taken out of your pay. And, uh, uh, and your tax, uh, that's 40% of it gone. So uh, try bringing up having six mouths to feed on $50,000. I wish you well. So, I a bit like, you well. Uh, so your meaning is a bit like the, the UK has a thing called the Child Benefit Scheme. 
So every, every week, every child gets a payment of £15 a week or something. So maybe a couple of thousand dollars a year, maybe maybe four or $5,000 a year in Aussie terms. Yeah, I, but I think we need immigration. But um, I think that, you know, you should bring people in from countries that are harmonious with Australia. I mean, I, I think it's, you don't have to be you know, Albert Einstein to figure out, you know, we want to bring people in from democracies that understand, know, and have those values. People that are from countries with um, um, rule of law, democracy, rule of law. Christianity, um, all right, you might not believe in God, but in a humanitarian sense, you have responsibility to your fellow man and, uh, and you must try and make the world a better place. Um, the Sikhs, for example, have a religion which is almost identical to Christianity. Um, so they would come in in the definition Sikhs from the Punjab, uh, for example. Um, uh, egalitarian traditions award wages. China. No, 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 no. Where all the major proportion of our, our people come from? China. Um, um, second down, I would argue. But they, but, but, no, 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 no. Right? Didn't, well, didn't, didn't China where have. Six, where are the Filipinos? Didn't China have an election China last year? But China had an election last year. <laughs> <laughs> Direction, but, I can't <laughs> but uh anyway bob uh we were told that we had to uh uh we had up until quarter to uh 12 we're, we're way over that and so it's been informative to talk to you it's always good to get you know different views across agriculture from all the different sectors of politics and uh, just want to say thanks for, for taking the time out of your day. I hope you're not too cold in Canberra. I know you've got a couple of a couple of jackets on and a, and a scarf. I hope it's it's not uh, obviously it's t-shirt weather for me, but uh, but but for you Northern Queenslanders, it's probably going to be a bit more difficult. Uh, so enjoy yourself in your in your time in Canberra. Um, I you know all those erudite prognostications that I made. Um, um, you know, I don't consider myself a particularly intelligent or clever person, but they're just the policies of the old Labor policies in Queensland and, of course, the Country Party, which I'm steeped. Um, if those policies were there today, this would be a wonderful country, a land of opportunity, wealth, and, um, and, um, and doing wonderful things for the planet as well as for ourselves. God bless you that's, all. That's a good point to finish on. Thanks for your time, Bob, and we'll, uh, we'll see you when you've got nothing on. <laughs> Cheerio. I love that one. I love that one. <laughs> you can use that one.